for a few magical laps at Monza, Antonio Giovinazzi ran comfortably third in his home Grand Prix in an Alfa Romeo. Had there been a crowd at the Temple of Speed, the Tifosi would have been ecstatic. Hamilton then comes into the pits. Pierre Gasly for Alfa Tauri in their home race leads the Italian Grand Prix from the Alfa Romeo of Kimi Raikkonen in second, Giovinazzi. Sadly, it wasn't to last. Antonio had to serve a 10-second stop-go penalty for a pit lane infringement and he was to drop down the order. But it was a reminder of what the 26-year-old from Martina Franca in the boot of Italy can do. And as the Formula One world embraces everything Italian this week with back-to-back races at Monza and Mugello, let's get to know the only Italian on the grid a little bit better. And I promise he'll surprise you. Welcome to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. As has been the case for so many Italian drivers, all of whom have had to fight to break from the shadow cast by Ferrari, Giovinazzi's route to Formula One wasn't easy. Coming from a family of modest means, he was forced at one point to pursue his junior career in China, not the most obvious starting point on the road to Formula One. He eventually returned to Europe and went wheel to wheel with the likes of Formula One's newest race winner, Pierre Gasly, in GP2, narrowly missing out on the championship in 2016. Antonio has long been a member of Ferrari's driver development program, and he was championed by former Ferrari CEO Sergio Marchionne. Such high-profile links led to him briefly subbing for the injured Pascal Verlein at Ferrari-powered Sauber in 2017 before getting a full-time drive with Alfa Romeo last year, with plenty of Ferrari testing and sim work in between. He's now in his second full season of Formula One, and thus far, he's taken the team's only points finish of the campaign when he finished ninth in the season-opening Austrian Grand Prix. It's crazy to think that Antonio is Italy's first Formula One driver since Tonio Liuzzi in 2011. There's no doubt that Giovinazzi's quick, But what made this podcast so enjoyable was there's so much depth to him. Did you know that he loves bees and he's obsessed with white trainers and he loves the history of his hometown of Martina Franca? Oh, and were you aware that this food mad driver's career was quite literally shaped by fried chicken? Prepare for all of these insights and much more. Now, I spoke to Antonio in Spa-Francorchamps the day before his big crash in the Grand Prix. Oh, Giovinazzi is off the road and in the wall. And that is a big crash to bring out the safety car at the very least. Good to see Antonio is out. Good to see that George is all right as well. But both drivers eliminated. Antonio was on fantastic form and raving about the track as you'll hear. For an F1 driver, to drive here in Spa is always uh, a special feeling. It's, I think, uh, the best track to drive a Formula 1 car. I mean, everyone says it's a roller coaster, but I mean, it kind of really is. It's a really accurate description, isn't it? Yes, you know, especially on the first lap, when you're doing first, you know, also the installation lap in, uh, in FP1 and you go to Rouge, you feel your stomach, you know, like uh, when you've been on a roller coaster, you know, and it's something, uh, you know, strange that we never uh, had this before. And uh, it's always, you know, uh, of course, after two, three laps, then uh, became uh, easy flat and also for the stomach, it became normal. But it's always special, you know, it's going up and then you go down again and you go up again. It's honestly, it's a fantastic track. I've got to ask you, 
Were you flat through Eau Rouge on lap one on Friday morning? So unfortunately, Friday morning. Oh, you didn't, know, you didn't do a lap. Oh no, you had the engine. Oh no, that was a really bad question. But then in FP2 on the first uh, final lap, I was I was flat. Cool. Yes. Do you know the reason I asked you that was um, we had Heike Kovalainen on the show, and he said Lewis Hamilton used to bet him that he would go through Oru's flat on the first outlap of the weekend and. He, he backed Heike and, and Heike lost because oh. he didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we thought maybe it was, uh, I would say, more tough, you know, to do flat because less aerodynamic, less downforce. But now for us, it become honestly a straight. It's not anymore a corner, so it's quite good. And it's, uh, you will lose quite easy a bet if you do with a, with a driver because it's quite easy to do flat on the first lap. Now, look, looking at 2020, it's, it's a difficult season pace-wise. We all know that. But I wanted to ask you what positives you've been able to take out of this season so far. I mean, the qualifying battle with Kimi is going well. Tell me about the positives and, and what you're able to take from what is even a difficult season. First of all, I think, uh, you know, to, to score points on the first race was, uh, of course, you know, was a chaotic race, everything happened. But, in, you know, in the end, you need to to be on the right moment in the right uh, in the right time and uh, I think uh, like a team we did and I think it will be a really important two points during uh, during the season because we don't know when we can uh, we can score points again uh, but yeah I take it I'm, I'm really happy with uh, with that uh, P9 in first race and after that like you say you know in quali I think uh, when you have um, not a fast car like not enough fast to go to Q3 every race you know your battle is the main battle is with your uh, teammate because uh, in the end you drive the same car the same team and uh, same situation uh, and in the end you know is the driver you want to beat and uh, especially if you fight with uh, with a driver like Kimi Raikkonen that is not you know a young driver that uh, you know want to want to do well but is a driver you already won a world championship plus with a lot of experience so you know what uh, how can can beat you and uh, you know for me it's important to be always in front of him or really close to him because uh, in terms of uh, reference you know i think uh, not many drivers on the first season on the second season get uh, you know the comparison with a world champion driver so i'm uh, i'm really happy with uh, with kimi especially how we work together because in the end you know of course he's fighting uh, between uh, teammates but in the end uh, you know the important things for the team is that the two drivers work well together and uh, in the end you know if uh, some driver needs some help in some race you need to have uh, to give this help and uh, you know so I think so far uh, we have a good relationship and um, I'm really happy to be his teammate and uh, to be the teammate of uh, one uh, world champion driver. How are you developing as a driver? What's the sort of biggest things you're learning from Kimi and what do you feel you're doing better now than you were 12 months ago? Um, you know, I think, uh, first of all, uh, the two years that I lost in uh, to be the third driver of Ferrari, you know, for me was uh, in the end when I come back, I, I can feel that I wasn't the Antonio that I finished the GP2 season in 2016. Or, you know, that's the re really, sorry to interrupt, but that's really interesting that you felt you lost something. What do you feel you lost? Why were you not the same, Antonio? I think, you know, not in terms of uh, speed, because in the end, you know, I was doing some FP1. I was doing um, some testing with Ferrari, with Sauber at that moment, with Haas. So, you know, in terms of speed, I was quite 
happy but you, you can see you know uh, last year on the in the beginning of the of the season in qualifying I was always quite close to Kimi but then in the race you know I was struggling quite a lot and this what I was missing from my side you know because I can I can feel that the first lap you know wheel to wheel uh, overtaking what I wasn't wasn't me you know because uh, if you remember in GP2 I was uh, always in my career went uh, good overtaking and uh, last year in the beginning of the season I was uh, wasn't me so you know after racing after race I can uh, feel that you know I was uh, taking back that talent I would say and uh, now I think looking back and looking now I'm uh, just you know if you can see lap one uh, I'm uh, the guy that gain always a position lap one so you know just I'm really happy that I'm finally can see that uh, Antonio is back and uh, now I just want to you know improving improving and I think uh, with Kimi beside I just uh, can uh, can be a better driver after one here and after one here Antonio's back it's really interesting though and, and is it about confidence is that what's changed Yes, in then this confidence and plus, you know, if you if you miss two years and you go back to Formula Three or Formula Two, I think you know you find uh, some rookie, you find uh, you know a driver that uh, that are a little bit slower than you. But when you you know come back in Formula One, that is uh, the maximum of the level of motorsport, and you find just you know the best drivers in the in the world, you know, so they don't give up, they don't uh, give to you a chance, and uh, you know this is the the hardest things that I found at uh, the beginning of the year. So comparing you to Kimi, then what surprised you about him? That he never give up, you know, is is incredible because in the end, you know, you have so many years of Formula One. I can see that he still want to beat me, you know, every time, and uh, he's not give up. Also, if we struggle a little bit with the car, he's always pushing like uh, like hell. So, you know, this is something that uh, every young drivers need to to see him and never give up. Uh, also, if the thing going wrong, he's always pushing, and, uh, and this is something good for uh, for me because you know I can see that I need still always. Uh, improving, improving, pushing, and pushing, and plus also for the team, it's good. Uh, it's good motivation to go forward and uh, try to improve the car. And when you look at the data, what is Kimi doing that you can learn, or is there one particular area where he's he's very strong? I think uh, you know this is what I saw also back uh, in the past in Ferrari. You know, I think Kimi in the race, race uh, management. You know, manage the tires, manage the fuel, everything. I think he's. I would say one of the best or maybe the best one, you know, because, uh, you know, how he managed the, the race from lap one to, to the end is incredible. You know, sometimes I can have a good start and be in front of him, like maybe with 10 seconds, 12 seconds. But then, you know, I'm sure that uh, in the end of the race, he will recover that gap because he's really good on managing everything and give, you know, the best in the end of the race when you need the result. And this is something I need to, to learn from him because I think he's, uh, he's, like I say, one of the best or maybe the best one. Sisu, isn't that what the Finns call it? Sisu? Yes. yes. <laughs> Another thing about Kimi, you're certainly David Coulthard used to say this, that he always went for sleep just before the race. Does he still do that? I don't know. We I don't have, know. Uh, we have a room really close, <laughs> but uh, I know that he's going in all the time and come back, come you know, come out from the the room in the last second. But I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> to be honest, I will ask if he's. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I'm doing as well. You know, I, you have a sleep as well. You've learned that. Off- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, you know, I just feel uh, more relaxed after the sleep. So especially before qualifying, that I feel more pressure. And I will say, I just try to to relax and uh, you know at. Uh, Every time I fully sleep in the end, and uh, but you know, it's uh, I think many drivers is doing. I don't know now 
which one is doing, but me and now maybe Kimi, you confirm to me. So it's a it's good things I think to do before um, you know hard things to do. Another thing for young drivers when you come into Formula One is dealing with the pressure, isn't it? It's the constant pressure, not only of what you're doing on the racetrack, but people are judging you, everything you say, everything you do outside the car. Has that taken quite a lot of getting used to? Yeah, so I think, first of all, you know, when uh, you are a driver that uh, you never get something easy, you know, in my career, uh, my dad had not the possibility to pay me the the season. So I always, you know, uh, be there because one person helped me. In this case, you know, in karting was a top kart and PCR that I was racing for free. And uh, there, you know, was some pressure because if you are not uh, good enough, they, you know, they know that you don't pay, so they will take another driver. And uh, then I went to Formula Car and it was uh, Mr. Galil, you know, the dad, I would say it was my second dad, uh, you know, that helped me from Formula 4 to Formula 2. And also in this case, you know, I know that uh, in, in that moment I was racing uh, for free and he was paying and invest so much money in me. And uh, I know that uh, if I was not fast enough and uh, not uh, achieve a good result, it will take me out. So, you know, this is something uh, I always had in my in my career, you know, pressure, pressure on every race. And also, you know, become a Ferrari driver. It's, I tell you, for an Italian, is not, uh, I think for every Ferrari driver, you know, you, you got always some pressure, more like you say, also outside of the track. You cannot be, you know, a funny guy or whatever, you know, you need to be always on the target. I, I like to be, you know, for me, Ferrari is always... Uh, was a dream for me since I, I started my career you know I always dreamed to become a Ferrari driver and when I signed into back in 2016 for me it was a dream dream come true and uh, and I like to be part of this uh, fantastic family so far now I'm Al Formio driver still you know a Ferrari driver and uh, I'm, I'm really proud you know to be you know that Italian that finally also is back in Formula One but you know in a Ferrari uh, family so I'm uh, I'm just really proud. So the point here is that you're used to pressure. Yes. Yes. Is that really what we're saying? Because you've always had to perform. Yes, I think uh, in the end, you know, all like I say, all the drivers that didn't have that uh, opportunity to race. You know, I, I speak about all drivers now where they are on the top, like from Lewis uh, or from uh, Sebastian or Verstappen. You know, when you are in the academy, that you need to you need to do a result. You know, so we are under pressure from. Uh, since we we start in uh, in formula from formula 4 they are looking at you what you are doing if the results are good enough if it's not good enough they will take out and your career is over so this is something uh, i think the best driver already had uh, since uh, we start on on uh, on the beginning of our career for this you know when we are in formula 1 we are able to play and uh, to be good enough to to don't feel much the pressure you said there that your parents weren't able to, to fund your career. Can we just talk a little bit about your background? And um, You grew up in the, the beautiful city of Martina Franca, in the boot of Italy. Yes. Very yes. beautiful, particularly the centre, isn't it? Yes. But not many racing drivers have come from there. Have yeah, I got that wrong? No, no, you're wrong, actually. Because, you know, uh, Tonio Luzzi, he actually grew up in Locrotonde, that is five kilometres from... Uh, from my house so I really did get that wrong then because Tonio <laughs> was the last Italian driver before you was <laughs> so uh, actually you know Luzzi was from there and in the end also you know uh, Trulli was from Pescara yeah. oh, I know he's 300 kilometer from uh, from me but Luzzi was really he grew up in Locrotondo so honestly he's five kilometer from Martina Franca so is he a family friend 
No, no, but I know him really well. And I, I saw him when I was a kid and he was already in Formula One. And, uh, you know, he went one time for one uh, event in Martina Franca, actually, because he is actually his family. Uh, the brother of his dad is from Martina Franca. So he went to Martina Franca to do an event and I was there. And because, you know, for me, uh, Luzzi was a Formula One driver. You know, Formula One for me was uh, the best. And uh, I went there for, uh, for see him and it was, uh, was nice to, to meet him for the first time. But where did your passion for racing come from? Because you say you didn't know Tonio when you were young. So is, is it your dad or...? So, you know, I was, um, when I, I was turning actually the three years old and, um, and, uh, yeah, my, my dad saw it. First of all, my, the dad of my mom was, uh, a race, you know, just a regional race in the karting. Uh, but plus, you know, my dad saw that, uh, I had a lot of passion of cars in general. You know, I, I could recognize, uh, every brand from, uh, from the car, also from far away. And, uh, so he, when uh, I was turning, uh, three years old, uh, he just, give me this first go-kart and I was uh, actually first of all when it turned on the engine I I you know I was too scared and I went you know and I say no 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 I don't want to drive this one but then the next day I come back to him I say okay you can turn on and I start to drive on uh, on the garden of my of my house and uh, and after that everything started you know I was uh I, was, I like it a lot, and every Saturday and Sunday I was, you know, broken the balls to my dad, and uh, you know, knocked his uh, his door, and because he, for him, you know, Saturday and Sunday was the the holidays day from work, but you know, at six thirty I was knocked at his door and say, let's go, let's go to the track, and you know, from him I always had uh, maximum support. I was, you know, he's I know that from Monday to Friday he was working, and plus he was working also for me, you know, because in that moment it was not easy to to find sponsor, but uh, it was. Working working for a company in the, working in transport and uh, every time he was doing he was going to the some uh, some company first of all he asked for sponsorship for me and then he started to speak about his work and this every time and uh, we, he actually he, had, he was able to to find a lot of sponsors in that moment and uh, you know it make me to start my career in in, uh, in karting and like I say you know I always had his support on Saturday and Sunday bring me to Lecce that is one hour and 30 minutes from my house every weekend and uh, you know and doing what uh, what I like it and uh, in the end I think uh, we did a lot of sacrifice but uh, I remember also the moment that uh, I signed for Ferrari and the moment also I signed for Alfa Romeo to become an official driver in Formula 1 that we were uh, you know of course happy but uh, more than happy I would say because uh, I remember on the phone I called my dad and I say dad finally we got and uh, you know for uh, one minute I, I didn't leave, like heard nothing on the phone I, and my mom come on the phone and say your dad is crying a lot so I will call you back and you know this is something uh, that make me really proud and uh, I think proud also of my family that we ship this uh, this big uh, big goal that uh, we we dream since I start my career even emotional now talking about it isn't it when you think where you've come from and are you a bit of a hero in Martina Franca now you know I think uh, F3 I was already you know some people start to follow me but you know it, Motorsport in in Italy in general is you know football is more important than uh, than uh, motorsport, but then you know of course when I did Formula Two and then now I'm Formula One you know uh, everyone know me it's really nice you know when uh, I, I don't spend much time now this unfortunately you know I have so many friends there my family is there but unfortunately I don't spend much time but when I'm back there you know as soon as I I, I, I'm outside of in the in the town, you know. I'm just uh, feel the the passion and the support that everyone give me, and uh, it's 
you know, it's only it's a town with 50,000 people, so it's not really big. So of course, uh, everyone know me, and uh, this is what uh, I think I will miss mostly in um, in Monza this year because last year I think was uh, many people from Martina Franca, and uh, was something uh, you know emotional for me, especially before starting the race. I could see all the people on the grandstand, and uh, was something you know, especially coming from Spa. That for me was a tough weekend because it was a really good race, but then I crashed in the last lap. And you know, coming to Monza, I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, so I say maybe you know I they will not uh, support me because you know I did a mistake, a stupid mistake. But you know, from Wednesday to Sunday, I felt a complete support. A lot of people from Martina Franca they, they were there for me, and in the end, you know, went also. We did a fantastic result, P9 in front of them. And I uh, was just, I remember the Sunday night, I was, uh, I was eating with all my friends and, uh, you know, it was just uh, special things for me. Now, Martina Franca is known as the Acropolis of Puglia. Yes. So put your tourism hat on and can you tell us what is the best thing about Martina Franca? You need, you need to go to there because to see what is Martina Franca, you know, I think in general Puglia is uh, now is fantastic. We have, uh, I think, uh, one of the best sea over there and plus the food is unbelievable. You know, all the time I went there, I eat so much. Also because my mom is so good on cooking uh, and, you know, all the time I come yeah. back. Uh, heavier, the first, heavier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, the first thing my mom said to me is, you are so skinny, you need to eat. Okay, so let's go and, uh, you know, for three, four days, I'm eating like because you know in the end I, I never find something good like this and when I'm there I'm just try to you know eat everything I could and uh, in the end I'm quite lucky because also if I eat a lot I don't gain much you know a lot of kilo so I still you know uh, I still can do this and uh, I'm uh, you know like I say food the place is really good people they are really good so for me it's just the perfect town you sound like you have a very close family and so when you were 18 and the decision was made for you to go and do Formula Pilota in China. How, how big a shout was that? And how difficult was it to be away from mom and dad and family? Yeah, I think the, the first things, you know, is the problem became because we were really close together, you know. And uh, when uh, uh, Mr. Ricardo Gerai told to my dad that uh, the only opportunity to, to race in Formula was to go to Jakarta because he was based there. And Sean, uh, you know, is, is like a brother because we lived together, uh, honestly, for a lot of uh, times. And, uh, you know, I moved there to Indonesia from, uh, I think, for seven, eight months, uh, you know, really far from uh, from my uh, my house. And it was also difficult to speak with them because, you know, the jet lag was a lot, it was seven, eight hours. So it was not an uh, easy decision, but, you know, in the end, uh, I know that from for me it was the only opportunity to to continue my dream, and uh, also my family knew this, so we had not uh, too much discussion. You know, we took the first flight and I went to to Indo Indonesia straight away. But you know, I, I it was not an easy moment for me because it was the first time that uh, I left my my family and I saw them after six seven months. And it was not easy at all. Uh, I, I think also for for my family, you know, for my mom, for my dad. But in the end, you know, I think if we if we see back and see now, I think we did the right choice, and uh, we are really happy with what we did. Did anyone from the family travel with you, or were you on your own? 
Uh, no, at that moment it was just me, and uh, of course, you know, my dad, like I say, he always uh, follow me, especially on the karting races. Uh, but then, when you know, especially already in Formula, Formula Four, Formula Three, it was a lot of traveling uh, outside of Italy, so also for his job was not uh, ideal. But you know, I'd always, you know, uh, as soon as he got uh, a chance to come with me, he was always there. And uh, I think in the in the best moments, uh, I always find my dad, you know, and uh, this, if you look at picture and one of the best podium in, uh, in my career in Monza in GP2, you know, the first guy I, I found actually when I stopped the car, in, I don't know how he did, to be honest, he still don't know as well. But when I stopped the car and I opened my visor, so the first guy was in front of me was my dad. And uh, this is something uh, he always, you know, when also I won in, in karting race, the first guy who was waiting for me was my dad. So for me, you know, he's the guy that uh, I think I need to say the big thanks to him because without him, for sure, I will, uh, I will not be here. But also, you know, my mom, my sister, they always follow me and they still, you know, from Friday to Sunday for them is, uh, is they stay at home. They watch only me. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the mood is going also up and down how my results are. For me, it's, you know, uh, family is the, the first love that I had. And uh, and I hope, you know, that in Mugello maybe is a possibility to invite them because for me it's, uh, it's really important to have them in one of the race this year. You've also said that Sean Galeal, F2 driver Sean Galeal, is like a brother to you. How did you meet those guys and how did you end up in a position where they could finance your early career? <laughs> to be honest, it was a strange, strange uh, meet because, you know, I, I was in karting in 2011 and I, think I was one of the best drivers over there, you know, I was uh, winning uh, some races with uh, PCR. And uh, at that moment, Sean, you know, was in karting for the first year in uh, in Europe. And, uh, you know, he tried with his dad to invite me in one of the race to be his coach for that race. And after... <laughs> That's the boss who's uh, just walked boss. in. <laughs> Fred Basser. And, He's stealing uh, our peanuts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, and, sorry. no, no, it's, you know, and um, after that, is everything started, you know, I was, uh, I had a really good, straight away, good relationship with Sean, with Ricardo as well, and a friendship start from there, and, uh, you know, I went to, I remember after that race, I went to UK with them for the first time for me in UK, we had one weekend there, and his dad actually came to me that moment, it was after five days I met him, he came to me and say. I promise you that uh, I will support you until Formula 2. After that, we'll see. This was a promise for me that, that Mr. Gale, Ricardo Gale did to me on back in 2011. And he actually, you know, in the end, if I'm looking back, he was right. Because until Formula 2, because of him, I went to Formula 2. And now I'm here also because, you know, the most of the, the success is because of him. Because without him, for sure, well, I will see Bill now in karting, maybe a professional driving karting, but I wasn't able to go to, to Formula Car. So you lived in Indonesia with Ricardo Galeo and yes, the family himself, yes. and, and ate a lot of KFC. Yes. <laughs> How yeah. are you so slim? I don't know. I'm with your mum. <laughs> I don't understand. And did you learn to love Asia while you were out there? You know, of course, in terms of food, uh, I was really far from uh, Italian food. But uh, yeah, I had, uh, I for sure, I had, um, you know, a good life because I I lived in a, in a fantastic house that they had in a, back in Jakarta. Uh, but, you know, I start to also to realize how different, you know, Asian people are. 
And, uh, you know, I was actually already when I was in Formula 4 and Formula 3, when I was going to Jakarta, I was quite famous more than Italy because we were in every every part in the, you know, in the KFC. Uh, uh, we should probably add here that the Galeos have, what is it, the KFC franchise in the whole of Indonesia. Yes. That's where the money was. Yeah, okay, so yeah. when I was in Indonesia, I was quite famous <laughs> and it was, it was really nice. You see, already from, you know, I was quite young and uh, in Formula 4, but I... When I was in Indonesia, I was looking like a Formula One driver, so it was uh, was really nice, and uh, you know, and I spent a lot of time with Sean. Uh, he was younger than me, so he was still on the school. So I was waiting for him uh, to be back from the school, and then we played together. Uh, I, you know, I, I, at that moment when I went to Indonesia, I, I didn't know one word of English, so I started to study a little bit of English with him when he was back to the school, from back from the school, and you know, and, uh, and now. In the end, I think I, I, I went to Formula 1, he's, he's Formula 2, so we did, I think, a good, um, good career together. And I hope the best for him because, uh, for, for me, like I say, he's a, he's a brother. Talking of people who have had big influences on your career, we've mentioned two, your father and uh, Ricardo Galeo. But I also wanted to ask you about your relationship with the late Sergio Marchioni in that he was a big supporter of yours, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, back in 2016, he was the, the man that uh, you want me really hard in, uh, on, the, on the Ferrari family. And yeah, because of him, I went to Ferrari in the end of the t- 2016. He was a really clever man and uh, really straight as well. Uh, you know, I think uh, I still remember the first meeting I had with him. You know, was a guy that uh, was really difficult to speak with him because uh, you felt always uh, one step down to him. But in the end, I think he was one of the smarter men I, I met. And uh, for me, it was just a privilege to have the, the opportunity to work with him. And uh, I always, like you say, you know, you, you did, uh, you, you took a right point. For me, it was three persons that was really important for my career. The first of all, for sure, it's my dad, then uh, Galile, Ricardo, and then Sergio Marchione, because uh, he wanted really, really bad me in Ferrari, and uh, and now I'm here also because of him. What was it about you that he liked so much? Because there are a lot of young Italians coming through. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's from the first moment he he liked me, and uh, of course, you know, I was coming from a good season in Formula Two in GP Two in 2016. I was an Italian, and uh, I won in Monza, and uh, I don't know, but I think uh, we had always a good uh, good relationship. Also, when he was in the track, he will, he liked to to speak to me. So I'm I'm just like I say, really, really proud that uh, I met and I work with uh, people like him. What was life like as Ferrari's test driver, reserve driver? I mean, you drove the sim a lot, but how did you actually help the Formula One team? What does that job entail? You know, I think in, in the end, uh, of course, you know, now we we can't test anymore. And uh, the only way to improve the car and develop the car during the season is the simulator. And I was spending really a lot of hours there. Uh, actually, the 2017, in 2017, my first season there in Ferrari, I I took a house really close to, to Maranello and I was from Monday to Friday on the sim. And I did a lot of work there. I think it was good for the team, but was in the end good also for me. You know, I think I it's there where I start to work with the best people in in Formula One, with the best engineering, and also on my career this make me I think uh, a better driver. In there it was not just a simulator day. I think it was a lot of work there. I start to you know explain better what the car was doing and everything. So I think. Uh, 
was good for me for my career but like I say unfortunately we couldn't race on the simulator and this is what I miss when uh, when I was back in Formula One. I'm going to ask you an impossible question now <laughs> but if Sergio Marchionne was still alive today do you think you would be racing for Ferrari in 2021? I don't know only you know nobody can know now um, but this is Did life. Did he talk to you about a potential race seat in the years to come? You know, I think when he took me, maybe this was the, the idea, you know, but uh, you never know in life, always uh, things to, uh, going on. Uh, and now nobody knows what, uh, what uh, could be with him now here. So, um, you know, I think uh, in the end, you need to take what you, what you have now. And uh, I will not be in 2021 in, uh, in a Ferrari car, but uh, this doesn't mean that I will not be in the future. So I'm still uh, pushing on my, you know, everything I have, like I always I did. My dream from uh, when I started, like I say, when I started uh, this career was to become a Formula One driver, but of course in a Ferrari. And it's still my dream. And uh, I will never uh, give up until, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see any more that opportunity. I still, I think I have that opportunity and I still need to do a lot of work to, to achieve that, uh, that goal. What has the team said to you? Because they, they're going with Carlos Sainz next year. But did they, when they didn't choose you, did they say anything like, look, he's, he's only got a contract for two years and, and we are seriously looking at you for two yeah, years' time? Mattia called me straight away. And, uh, you know, I think uh, he got the right point. You know, I think it was for him, it was not the right moment to achieve that seat. Uh, but I think, you know, also if I looking back, like I say, you know, I never had something easy in my career. I always fight. It's always, uh, you know, when you achieve that, uh, that target, it's better, you know, if you are a fighter and uh, for th that things, you know. So I think also looking back was not the right uh, moment to go to Ferrari for me. But like I said before, this doesn't mean that uh, I will not have that seat in the future. So why do you think it wasn't the right moment? Because I think uh, after the first season, uh, of course, you know, I grew up a lot during the season. But I think to be an, a Ferrari driver, you need to honestly to have a great result. And uh, I think this, you know, I of course I took the P5 in Brazil, but was not I think enough to achieve that uh, that seat. And I want that, uh, you know, if I become Ferrari driver, I want just that I become Ferrari driver because. I deserve that seat, you know, and not because I'm Italian and not because I'm a big supporter from I don't know who. And uh, so I just want the seat because I, I deserve and this is what I will do in the, in the next years. And hopefully I can have that seat in the future. Maybe there's an element of them protecting you a bit because you're Italian and the extra pressure that that would bring. What is your relationship with the Italian media like? It's good, you know. Like you see, of course, you know, an Italian driving a Ferrari is is uh, the worst combination for media, because they want for sure, you know, the maximum. Uh, they want the maximum for Ferrari because the name, because the history, because uh, you know, I think it's the best team in the world. And of course, you know, if you find an Italian driving the Ferrari, it's something they they want it. Uh, you know, is the best combination. So for the, from the best combination, they want the best result. It's also maybe like you say, maybe they protect me because, uh, like I say, it was not the right time, and maybe they put me in 2021. And after a few races, the media will destroy me, and uh, then after one year, I'm just uh, out of Formula One. So I, honestly, I, I'm not. Uh, of course, you know, if I had the call, I was take straight away uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not worried too much because like I say you know I don't see that is my dream is ending there 
but uh, it's still a lot in front of me and uh, you know I still want that, uh, that seat and I will do all my best to take it. You're the first Italian to race in Formula One since 2011 and there hasn't been an Italian world champion since Ascari. Why do you think Formula One is so tough for Italians? I don't know. In this moment, I think the first thing is that the karting is costing too much and uh, unfortunately in Italy we don't have uh, any big sponsorship that uh, can help you on the already on the beginning of the of your career so this first point and uh, second point to be honest i don't know. i think uh, so far i saw that uh, in the low category also in karting we have a few good italians that they are coming uh, and hopefully you know is uh, in the in the future can be more italians in a, in f1 grid and try to you know finally to one of them to win uh, the world championship. But do you think, in a way, Ferrari attracts all of the media coverage, all of the any funding there is coming from Italy goes to Ferrari and not to the drivers? Is there a case of that? Do you think it's difficult to compete with Ferrari, uh, especially in Italy? Like you say, you know, I think uh, this name, this brand, is uh, is one of the most popular in the world. You know, so it's difficult to compete with one of them. But uh, you know, why not to be you know an Italian winning with a Ferrari? I think uh, then uh, everything can change. You know, that attention can uh, can come. Uh, also on the on the driver, I think in the end, you know, if you find a fast driver and doing a great result, the attention can come also to the drivers. It's not only only Ferrari, of course. Like I say, you know, you cannot compete with Ferrari, but the result can uh, resolve your uh, your uh, your question. How big a deal was it when you made your debut in Melbourne, 2017, with this team? Okay, it was called Sauber back then. Was it huge in Italy? Yes, and also because it was not uh, a normal debut. Because really you know, wasn't, wasn't. <laughs> in fact, can you remind us how much warning did you get? Did Pascal even try and did he practice the car yes, on the Friday? You know, he, so I went to Melbourne for the first time for me as well, and uh, you know, I went there like a reset driver Ferrari. Then yeah, I did Thursday with Ferrari, Friday with Ferrari on the garage, and then uh, I went to sleep Friday night and. Uh, I had some rumors, you know, that uh, I remember the text from Maurizio, Riva Bene, that he told, he texted me and say, maybe we have an opportunity to race tomorrow on Sauber. I say, on Friday night, tomorrow is Saturday. It's no way, it will be a joke or, you know, something like this. I was sure that I will not race that weekend, you know. So I went to sleep quite well. Luckily, I was, you know, I went to sleep at like like always at 10 o'clock and uh, not going in the somewhere and partying and everything. So I, I went on the bed and then in the morning I woke up at 9 o'clock, I remember, and I saw a text from uh, from Maurizio and I say, so you will race with Saber this weekend. Say first of all, I say, ah, no way, maybe I'm still sleeping. And I was honestly, I was thinking that I was dreaming this. <laughs> then I, I, I tried to wake up really well and I see again the text and actually, you know, was uh, was like that. And I went to the track. Everything was uh, so fast because I went there, you know, I tried the seat and uh, I, I watched the, the schedule of the day. And it was only one hour because it was FP3. And in that one hour, they want me to do high fuel run, low fuel run and, uh, you know, learn the track because for me it was a new track. So I did so many things in that FPN. And I remember the Saturday for me, I honestly I came back on the on the Saturday night that I was completely destroyed because uh, I did so many things from uh, from 11 o'clock to after quali that uh, I was completely destroyed. But in the end, I think uh, it was actually quite good uh, because, you know, I went almost in Q2 in uh, on Saturday. 
uh, and then the race also was nice. You know, I had um, I really like Melbourne, like a track, like a like a difficult track at the best of times. Actually, yes, isn't yes, it? Yes, was you not know, because in then it's also a street track. You know, so it's not a, it's not AC track, but I really liked. And in the, in the end, I think I, I had a really fantastic weekend. And uh, I remember, you know, that uh, Sunday night I traveled to go to Melbourne on business class and uh, to come back Friday like a present of my first Grand Prix, give me opportunity to fly back on first class. You know, everyone said to me, so you will have a personal chef that can cook for you. And I was, you know, ah, yeah. <laughs> and then I come on the fly and I sit like normal. You know, I, I didn't went also on the full bed mode because uh, I was able to, you know, we will uh, fly. And uh, I remember that as soon as I sit, I fully sleep. And I woke up when uh, we landed in uh, in Dubai. So <laughs> just then, so exhausted by the whole yes, thing. Yes, and then, then you know I slept in the, in the first class on the normal uh, like oh, see, like sitting see. like normal. You know? So can you imagine? You could have been in economy. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this was uh, was something uh, strange, but uh, you know I think I had a, a good memories of that weekend. I Antonio, I remember you being a very cool customer that weekend. Suddenly, I mean, you you came in on Saturday morning, having just heard the news. The media comes in, and, and I think they had a, a very quick press call with you out the back of the garage, yes. and you just dealt with it. I was very surprised that no one at the team had given you the heads up that Pascal Verlein had an issue because he'd had a crash at the Race of Champions a long yes. time before. It's all sort of sprung on you so late. It seems extraordinary, really. Yes, you know, it's still, uh, I think it was uh, looking now with the best debut because, you know, I, in the end, I didn't have the opportunity to think about my debut because, you know, on Saturday morning I went on the track and everything was so far, you know, I did a, this small interview as well on all things I did. But in then uh, I think it was a lucky for me because I didn't think much about my debut, and uh, I felt more actually more pressure when I was back in uh, in 2000 last year in the, in Melbourne, my first race like official driver. I felt more pressure there because I felt more like that one was my first Grand Prix. Honestly, that Melbourne 2017 for me was just uh, you know a crazy crazy weekend. But uh, I have a really good memories from that one. So look, great first impression. We then went to China. <laughs> it wasn't quite so good, was it? Oh. oh, and there is a major incident once again involving Antonio Giovinazzi, who crashed in qualifying, and he has crashed quite heavily on lap four of this Chinese Grand Prix. The safety car will now be deployed. A huge amount of debris over the track, and Giovinazzi has had a weekend in Shanghai to forget. What was your mentality going into that race? Did you feel more pressure going into China? You know, uh, it was again another uh, difficult weekend because, you know, I, I knew before going to China that I, uh, I would race on that on that weekend. But again, on Friday, I missed FP1, FP2 because the weather was a fog. So we, we didn't do Sorry. a laps. And I again, it was, yeah. <laughs> was starting again from zero from uh, FP3. But yeah, I think after Melbourne that, uh, you know, I went close to the points. I was uh, P12, something like this. And I was almost in Q2. Uh, you know, I, I felt that I, I could go in Q2 straight away in China. But uh, actually, maybe before last corner, I was quite quite fast on that lap. But then, yeah, I I went, I crashed in the last corner before finish the lap. That I think was good enough to go to Q2. But yeah, I think... Uh, happened this happened and then on Sunday you know again it was a difficult race uh, for me you know it was a, 
a difficult track uh, was just uh, raining a little bit uh, and then we pitted for dry tires and uh, then I yeah I went to, I had aqua planning on the main straight and crashing again almost on the same point I was uh, I remember that night you know when I was flew to to back to Italy I was really destroyed you know because uh, after a good weekend a good impression in Formula 1 like you know like I said before on the media in uh, just in two weeks you know I was uh, maybe the next uh, Ferrari driver hero, in, uh, yes, hero after hero. Melbourne and after China I was again really shit and uh, really bad to crash in one uh, one weekend and it was not you know the worst things that was this was my last race at that moment and so then uh, after days you know the idea of Giovinazzi was that the guy that crashed in China for two times you know and I, I wasn't able to be back in the car and uh, and show with Giovinazzi already on the after two weeks you know so for me it was uh, really really tough and uh, yeah I had, uh, I had a difficult uh, days after that but then I, I put on my mind you know that uh, if I'm here in Formula 1 is because you know I had enough talent to be here and uh, I start to focus on my on my goals that uh, that moment was the third driver of Ferrari so I tried to give all my self to be on the simulator also 10 hours 12 hours a day do my job and uh, never uh, give up on my dream that uh, you know be back on the F1 grid like official driver and then you know uh, I did all right in these two years never uh, be angry with Ferrari because they didn't give me the opportunity straight away you know always be calm and uh, do my work you know I still uh, training like I was supposed to race in that year every day and in the end, you know, I think, uh, like uh, like I said before, all the sacrifices you do, in the end, I think they pay off. And this is what, uh, what happened also to me to be back in the, in the F1 grid. But also in 17, you did some FP1 sessions for Haas. And how much of a lifeline was that just to sort of yeah. keep yourself out there, keep yourself in... You know, in the, in the yeah, headlines. I think the FP1 is the worst thing for a is the worst session on the weekend because the grip in the in the track is really poor and uh, you have uh, always uh, a strange program with the team. You know, you'd never put a software compound, never try the quality. So, and then, you, you know, you go in the car and beside you is a driver who's racing there for I don't know uh, half a year or maybe more than a year so you know really well uh, the car you know really well what you need to do in FP1 so it's difficult to beat him on uh, only one hour and in one hour and 30 minutes so for me it was not easy to you know uh, show who I was in that moment but then you know I, I tried to at least on the rookie test to do my best and I think I did uh, Two times the best time in, in with Ferrari in um, Garoling and Barcelona. I was second in Bahrain, so I think uh, there where I show a little bit more to Ferrari who I was, and, and then you know finally I become an official driver. Now I need sometime give the car to an F1 to another driver. You do actually. <laughs> yeah, worst session of the weekend. Have fun. <laughs> so 2019 official Alpha driver again wasn't the easiest start, but second half of the season was really strong how do you reflect on year one yeah uh, like i said before you know the first part of the season i was struggling mostly on the on the race pace and this what uh, you know in the summertime i i really study what was better for me to improve on that uh, on that side and i think when i come back after the summertime you know was spa actually this first race and uh, was the best race i i did in uh, in uh, i think so far in uh, in formula 1 you know i was uh, the pace was really good i did a few a good overtake also to you know a driver like ricciardo pierre you know i was i think really happy until the last lap but um, 
yeah, after what happened, what happened in the last lap. But in the end of the at that race, of course, I was angry with myself. But on the other side, I was really happy because it was the first time that I felt that, uh, like I said before, Antonio was back, you know, because uh, I had a good overtake, was a really good pace. And uh, also in quali, I was really happy because uh, before I, I, I broke the engine, the engine broke and I was a little bit faster to Kimi that I think in this track is one of the best. So I was just really happy with the, so it was a 50%, 50-50, you know. But then, yeah, the second part of the season, you know, when as soon you get that confidence that you can do it, you can fight, everything become more easy. And this is what happened to me on the second part of the season. Of course, we struggled a little bit with the cars on that moment. So the result didn't come also if I was improving. But in the end, you know, I was happy also in Brazil that we achieved uh, the top five in Formula One. And it was a great race. P9 in, uh, in Monza, that for me was important. Singapore was also come another... On, Singapore, good, let's, can uh, we talk about those four laps? Right? <laughs> you led uh, the Grand you know, Prix I, for four laps. Giovinazzi now leads the Singapore Grand Prix, which is brilliant. Uh, Giovinazzi, by the way, the first man from outside a Mercedes, Ferrari or a Red Bull car to lead a Grand Prix since Williams. Uh, the British Grand Prix 2015. Of course, I knew that, you know, I was in different strategy. But uh, when, I saw, good, right? <laughs> when I saw, you know, come out from the last corner and I saw the pit board and I was P1. I say, oh, this, you know, I, I didn't see this since uh, 2016 in Formula 2. So it was, uh, was great. And then uh, I, I still remember, you know, when I finished the race, my phone was full of text about uh, everyone did the video when I was uh, P1 and it was, uh, was nice you know they did also a t-shirt with the when I was with the you know with the result uh, Giovinazzi P1 was was nice it was nice to lead in a, a Grand Prix and uh, also in Singapore that I think is one of the hardest weekend hardest track you know temperature is so hot humidity is so high and you're still on the street track that you know you know is you cannot do a mistake because then you are in the wall. So, was I think uh, also there was a was a great uh, great weekend. Are these current cars quite difficult to get the maximum from? Could it have taken you half a year just to work out how to extract the maximum? Because everyone says the fastest Formula One cars ever, but they're actually the heaviest Formula One cars, and they're ludicrously powerful. And does it just take? a few races and a bit of time to learn how to get those last two or three tenths. Yeah, these last two, three tenths is <laughs> most difficult things to find. And uh, like you say, you know, of course, I don't have much experience about the, the cars from uh, from the past, you know, because f- so far I just drove uh, the car with, uh, especially with an hybrid engine. But yeah, they are not easy to drive, I will say. Of course, they are so fast. And this is the problem, you know, because they, are, they have so much grip and uh, they are so fast that to be on the limit is not easy. But I can tell you that to drive this, uh, these cars, especially, you know, a track like Spa, you know, today on the quality lap, also if I was P18 and one second plus more than one second off from, uh, from P1, something uh, that, you know, you feel, you know, great. You feel uh, lucky to be an F1 driver and drive this, uh, these cars in, uh, in a track like, the, like Spa. So go on then. Next year, the boss, Fred, has already been in and thrown peanuts at us. But... Has he set you any goals that you need to achieve between now and the end of this year to get yourself in the drive for 2021? What's not he really, said? No, What's he said? Yeah, no, not really. I think Fred is a, is a really straight guy. I like him because, you know, if he, if he wants something from you, he will come to you and say straight away, you know. And uh, this is what, uh, what I like him. Plus, you know, the experience he got with, uh, with a lot of fast drivers like Hamilton, Vettel. 
So for me, it's, it's important to have him on my, you know, my first two season in Formula One, uh, like team principal, because I think uh, I can learn a lot from him and also from his feedback. But, you know, so far he didn't tell me what I need to do to have, uh, have a seat next year as well. From my side, I know, I know from my side what I need to do. That is the maximum. And uh, like I say, be, you know, in this moment, the best is to be in front of your teammate. But plus, you know, take uh, score points when you can. And this is what I did in uh, Spielberg. Don't do much mistake. And, uh, you know, and be, be consistent. I think in a Formula One, this is the good things, you know, is be consistent every race. It's uh, things that make you a better driver and uh, your um, valuation is going higher, you know. So this is what, uh, what I want from my season this year and see what, uh, what will happen then for next year. Will Ferrari have any say? In what you do next year? Not yet, not yet. Uh, I think yeah. Also, we, they have a lot of uh, drivers from Formula Two that uh, they are doing well. But uh, like I say, you know, if, if I'm doing my job and I'm doing on the, you know, I'm fast enough, is nobody can uh, can take my seat. My target is to continue with uh, with this team also next year because uh, I think for me it's the right choice. Uh, you know, I think I I felt good with them. Now in the second year already, I know better the people, my engineer. And so it, it's become already like a, like a family for me. It's really good to spend time with them, not just on the track, you know, but also outside of the track. We had a lot of fun uh, during the the two weeks in uh, in Silvers on the road, you know, ma- from Monday to Wednesday. We had a lot of fun together. We we played football together. We played ping pong together. So I'm just, you know, really Are you, are you competitive in everything? Yes. So if I started playing... Yes. <laughs> If we played a game of ping pong now, you would just have to be. Yeah, I'm just feel bad if I'm losing. So in everything <laughs> I'm doing. So I, and this, you know, is something I know is not good because I, you know, sometimes with my friends back in Puglia, also you know, doing some stupid things. If I was losing, I was fighting with them. You know, don't speak with them for uh, months. <laughs> I, I know it's not good, but uh, you know, I think every is an athlete. You know, I arrive on the best of the e-sport you know especially like uh, me in formula one i'm sure that every driver here in formula one they are competing in everything because uh, this is the mentality you need to have uh, from when you start your career you know because if you're happy with every result you know okay i'm p8 i'm really happy you will not achieve your your target this is what uh, what i want i know that now you know i'm fighting for uh, going to q2 but i'm always pushing myself and i'm always pushing the team because i want you know that uh, maybe going to Q3 is, uh, can be a target, scoring points. And uh, this is uh, the mentality I think every driver in Formula 1 have. Why are you a racing driver? Is it the love of driving or is it the love of competition, given everything that you've just said? Uh, good question. I think it's a combination you know, of, of them. I love uh, driving a car. I love driving a Formula 1 car. But I love also the competition. I cannot be on uh, on the spot like football, you know, when you need to to play with another guys, you know, because I'm like I say, you know, I cannot lose. But if I lose, need to be because I I, I did a mistake, or you know, I know who did the mistake. But if you are eleven people, you know, and maybe some people do a mistake and you lose because of them, uh, I'm just I think <laughs> I will I will be really angry to them. So. I think, yeah, I'm here just because I love, first of all, drive a car. I love uh, be on the limit with a Formula One car. And plus, because I love competition, I, you know, for everything I'm doing, I start to say, okay, let's do a race. Let's do a competition. You know, it, for me, it's, uh, it's really on, the, on my mind every time I'm doing something. What are you bad at? If I was going to take you on in a competition, what could I stand a chance of beating you in? 
Uh, I think uh, in the sport, uh, I'm really bad in basketball. And, uh, you know, Sean, the, you know, Galile, he yeah. was actually really good. And he was, after motorsport, he was his first passion. So when we were in Indonesia, he woke up me sometime at 5.30 in the morning because then he was supposed to go to school at 7. But from 5.30 to 6.30, he was, you know, he, say, he called me and he said, let's go play basketball. And I was, honestly, I was so bad. <laughs> Plus, you know, it was 5.30 in the morning. In the morning. <laughs> Are and, you good in the morning? Uh, no, no, I'm not good. I, I like sleep in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after that moment, I just, you know, I start to think about that moment, 5.30, basketball. And now if somebody tell me, well, let's go play basketball, I just say, fine. Okay, basketball is. Yes, basketball. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> A few other things, if I may. So Fred cut your hair off in Australia last year, didn't he? Or a little bit. It was only a little, a little bit. Fortunately. And I've been looking at photographs of you. And when you were carting, you had quite long hair, but never this long. Now, you can't blame this on lockdown completely. No, no, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's long. I mean, how, when you take it out of the ponytail, how, how far it's, down does it come? It's quite long. I, I show you now. It's quite long. It's so, uh, almost uh, one year, maybe more than one year. Yeah, it's, it, this is yes. not a visual medium, the podcast, but it is. You've, <laughs> so you've just taken it out of out of your hairband, and it's properly long. Yes, you know I like well his, like below your you. shoulders. <laughs> so, do you just hate hairdressers, or, or or no? I just like long hair. I don't like a short haircut. I know it's more comfortable, you know, especially for a driver, you know, using helmets and, uh, you know, I spent so much time yesterday, I clean my, every night you need to clean your, uh, your hair when you race, you know, and you spend, I spent maybe almost one hour to, to dry up this, this long hair. So, I, but you know, in the end, I just like long hair. And, uh, like you say, since I, I was in karting, my dad always, you know, I was always on the long hair and only one time actually had a short haircut. And, you know, I didn't like myself, you know, with the, with the short haircut. So now it's really long, I know. But because I have bet with myself, the bet is that I will do a haircut, a short haircut just if I go on the podium. So I don't know how long it will take. I Maybe you will see, see me you. like... <laughs> There's lots of reasons I want to see you on the podium, but that is definitely one of them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, so far I just, I just like, uh, like uh, long hair, I would say, yes. I've also been told that you're very good at maths. Yeah, I was really good on the on the school. It's the only times I got, I don't know, in England. Good work. results. Yes, I, it's from zero to ten, right? Ten is the best one, and uh, it's the only times I got nine plus. I still remember that moment, and it was in math because I, I just like numbers in general, and uh, also for this maybe you know I like data as well to watch data numbers because I don't know why. Since I was uh, I was a kid, I hate story history. I always hate this. All the other, uh, you know, but math for me was, uh, I was always quite good from uh, the beginning of uh, of the school to the end. And uh, like I said, it was the only nine plus that I got in my in my life was in math. What's 25 times seven? 25? Multiplied by seven. Are you, how good at maths are you? Do you know, because I was interviewing John Todd and John Todd is brilliant I know, I know, that I saw this, I heard this, yeah. And he's scary. Not, not as good as him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, now I also, my, my practice is not anymore, uh, anymore good. Um, what about bees, honeybees? Have you still got the bee on the back of your helmet? Yes. What is it about bees? For me, it's, um, you know, it's... In my in, in Formula Three and uh, Formula Two, I always had uh, a yellow car. I don't know if you remember because the mm, color of Jaguna Yama yes, yes, was a yellow. Yes. And always before a great result, I remember. Also, this is 
some good things to tell you that, uh, you know, before uh, Austria, Red Bull Ring, the first race, before the race, I was, uh, you know, warming up before the race. And in my room actually came 2B. This was strange, you know, 2B in my room, like on just really close to me. And uh, and then I got I scored two points in the race, you know, straight away. So it's something uh, something strange, but for me always was is really important. You know, uh, like I see Formula Two, Formula Two all the time before the race, and especially before a great result like winning a race or good comeback, was always a B before the race on, on my car. I don't know why, but uh, this make me like uh, to choose this like my lucky things, and uh, for this I I put also on my helmet. Do you actually know anything about bees? Because my wife wants to keep bees. She's obsessed with bees. I, I think because yeah. she, she likes honey. No, I, yeah. <laughs> First of all, I love honey as well, and uh, plus, yeah, I think you know, is that the bees is a really small. But in the end, you know, if you, I don't know in English how you say, but uh, it's really strong in the end. Also, if it's really small, it makes care everyone. You see, if any people see a bee, it start to, you know, worry too much. And uh, this, you know, if you're also small and make all the people scared, something, uh, something good, I think. There are 16,000 species of bees. That's the only thing I know. 16,000. Yeah. I said to the wife, where are you going to keep these? <laughs> <laughs> really? I think each hive can have... I think it's up to 60,000 bees in a hive. So if you see me at a race and I've just got plasters all over me, it's because I've been stung. Probably. <laughs> okay. Now, um, you're now in Monaco, aren't you? Yes. Very different environment to where you grew up. How are you finding it? For me, I, honestly, I, I like to live there because, uh, first of all, I'm really calm person. I don't like, you know, to party and uh, to live in a town with uh, a lot of traffic, a lot of things, you know. It just Monaco for me is... It's really calm. Uh, people don't stress you too much. And the life I'm doing, you know, is just home, gym, gym, home, sometimes a restaurant. Now not anymore with the COVID things. To live in a place with a good weather for me is the main things, you know. If you go, you, you know, wake up in the morning, you see a sea outside. It's something that makes your uh, day just smoother and better, you know. So for me, Monaco is one of that uh, town that is always, I don't know why, a good weather. You have a sea there. So it I know it's not Martina Franca, but in the end it's really similar to Martina Franca because we have always a good weather. We have a sea there. We have a good person. Okay, Monaco, I, I don't speak much with, uh, with the people, but uh, I think uh, in the end it's, they are really different, but in the end quite similar. Do you have any drivers that you speak to in Monaco? Did you... Are you friends with anyone on the grid? Yes, yes. And then, like you see, you know, as many drivers living in, uh, in Monaco. Uh, yeah, I once, you know, sometime I, we like the same restaurant with Charles and it's Mozza, is in uh, Monaco. And uh, actually we were together there last Saturday. Of course, uh, I was with my girlfriend, he was with his girlfriend. But yeah, I saw him there and then uh, we went some time out with uh, Daniel Kivet that is living there as well. Oh, do you ever see Daniel Kivet in the gym? Because you know he's a boxer. Yeah, I know. But no, 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 not in the gym. <laughs> not in the gym, just at the restaurant. <laughs> I know he's a boxer. <laughs> no, no, just at the restaurant, yes. Yeah. So, but is it, it's a fun place to hang out. It's not much to do, to be honest. But yeah, in the like, I like cycling and uh, you... Good can, hills around there. Yes, good hills around there. So it, it's good for me, this. And, uh, you know, then when you have a good weather, you can do everything. You know, you can go for a run and uh, you can go now, for look, a here's the thing about Monaco. You're living in an apartment. How have you got room for all of your white trainers? Why this great? <laughs> because it's ah, a the small... The white shoe. Ah, okay. Because yeah. I've been told you've got boxes and yes, boxes I, of these I love, things. You see, also this is a... What are you wearing Asics, now? But it's white. You know, I, I love white shoes. 
And Why the, white, first of all? Is it something to do with Martina Franca and the center of Martina Franca being whitewashed? <laughs> That's no, what I was trying to think. Why is everything white? No, I don't know. I would just like to wear a white shoes. And don't tell me. I don't know why, to be honest. But uh, since I was a kid, I always liked to have white shoes. It's the worst color also to have, you know, shoes on white because it's so sensitive on the... Always but, having to clean them, I guess. Yes, yes. But I just... Uh, and I have a lot, like you say. And I have how, also, how many pairs have you got? I don't know. Uh, now I, I bring some, some of them back in Martina Franca because I was full at the house. Uh, but yeah. Oh, so I was right about the room in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think 15, 16, something wow. like that. Yes. Hey, two weekends, uh, Italian yeah. races. Can't wait. For, Can't wait. It's going to be mad, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I think, first of all, you know, I think no one had the chance to have three home Grand Prix. And this, you know, it means that Italy in the end, you know, we, I think we have so many things. We are, I think, really good on the food. We have uh, so many good plays. And plus we have three track in the Italy to, to have a Formula One Grand Prix, you know, so something's crazy. But I'm really happy, you know, that I uh, will be the first driver that I will race in Triumph Grand Prix. I think uh, Monza has always been special. This year will not be special as last year because there will be not fans there. But it's always special to race there. And plus, we will have Mugello and Imola that I think they are two historic track and fantastic track. I think with this new car, Mugello will be amazing. I can imagine Arabiata 1 and Arabiata 2 with this car. It will be for the I, next I love not- the fact that the two best corners in Mugello are called Arabiata. Uh, it's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the faster, but they are really hanging out. Right? And uh, actually, how, how fast is it going to be? I mean, I heard Charles Leclerc saying... Yeah, he, they drove there. Right? So, yeah, but that was with a two-year-old car. Yes. And they broke the lap record on control tyres with a two-year-old car. Rubens Barrichello, I think, has the ra- yeah, lap record from yes. 2004. I think so what, honest, like, what's it going to be like in one of these cars? I don't know. It's crazy. But I think in the end, Arabetta 1 or Arabetta 2, they will, uh, they will be easy flat. You know, the first time I did Mugello was uh, I went to MotoGP race and I was a two-seat um, MotoGP, you know, I, I was there with Randy Mamola with Ducati. Oh, on the Ducati? Yes. And it was the first time for me Mugello. And, uh, you know, I was now talking to you, it was the, one of the best experiences I got. But in that moment, I honestly I shit myself. And <laughs> turn one, I went, we were so close to the curve. I said, okay, now we, we will fall down. And then we went to Arabiata 1, Arabiata 2 with this MotoGP. And it was honestly, it was, uh, was crazy. And I can imagine now with, uh, with a Formula 1 car. I, I tested there one time with a GT car just before Le Mans in 2018. But for sure, with these cars, will be really amazing. And plus also Imola. You know, Imola, I raced there in Formula 3 back in 2014. And plus all the history that, you know, and all the drivers that the race there, also Kimi, he told me that it's really great track and uh, I'm looking forward for, the, for this too. Just going back to the, the motorbike, the, the Randy <laughs> Mamola ride, H- how hard does Randy push when he's got someone... So riding yeah, Hillian with he him. told me that uh, if you can follow him quite well in the corner he, he can push more and actually I, I was following him quite well so follow it, as in lean into the yes. corner with him don't try and sort of yeah yeah go, because go. then he can feel and he's just dangerous you know so yeah. I, I was actually doing well he told me and he was pushing uh, he say he was pushing uh, quite 80 percent I don't trust him because uh, from my side he was pushing like 100. Yeah. Is it scary? Is it scary? Oh, yes. I guess he's still doing 100. And... Yeah, he's doing this. Uh, I think not now because the COVID things. But in the last when I did it was uh, two years ago and last year, I did two times. I'm really crazy, but I did two times, and he was doing every almost every weekend 
Friday and Saturday. So he was doing uh, some laps. And uh, yes, uh, honestly, what, uh, what surprised me mostly in, uh, in MotoGP bikes that I never will uh, think about it was, was the brakes. As soon as we went to turn one in, uh, on the brakes, I almost went up to him. <laughs> and that was honestly, you know, was the speed I didn't feel much. I think in Formula One, you can feel more. But uh, brakes was uh, surprised me quite a lot. Plus, of course, when we, we start to turn, that I saw the curves that was uh, one meter from my visor was, uh, was honestly something, uh, something crazy. So if I was to say to you, who are your sporting heroes? Would you choose someone from car racing or someone from MotoGP or another sport? Uh, you know, of course, in motorsport, uh, I, I saw this so many times. It was Michael Schumacher, you know, because he was in Ferrari. It was, uh, you know, at that time that I was follow Formula One. He was winning every race. For me, it was, you know, the person that uh, bring me more on, uh, on this world. But I think in general... Valentino Rossi, you know, for me was, uh, and he's, he's special, you know, because uh, what he did in that sport, winning so much, but plus also the attitude, you know, after the race, before the race, it was just so fun, you know, to watch him on the on the race. And, he, you know, fighting for the first, all the time he was the one who won, you know, it was crazy. On the last lap, he was second, fighting for first. He always ending to win the, the race. So for me, it was uh, always uh, something that... Uh, always like it and i think yeah it was i would say my the hero on uh, not just in motorsport but uh, the general hero have you met him yes met him uh, the first time was in 2018 in uh, in misano and it was special uh, special day yes now you know we've been talking about what it would be like for you to be a ferrari driver an italian driving for ferrari I remember before, I think it was the 2006 season, being in Valencia and watching Rossi test the Ferrari alongside Schumacher. And he was quick. Yeah, and anyway, the deal is. never happened. But can you imagine Rossi as a Ferrari driver? That would yes. have sent the whole place into yes. spasms, wouldn't it? Yes. They, actually, I, I spoke with uh, some people in Ferrari and uh, they said they actually, he was actually fast. So Pro Properly, genuinely yes, fast. Yes, yeah. So fast. quick enough to do it. Yes, yes. It's impressive that uh, I think to go from MotoGP to Formula One, maybe it's a little bit more easy to go from Mo Formula One to MotoGP. This will be really, I don't know. I, I never speak with, uh, with Hamilton that he did this one, but I'm quite sure that going from MotoGP to Formula One is much easier than go from Formula One to MotoGP. But, uh, you know, also in rally, is really good. He's doing the rally de Mon of Monza on the end of the year, and he won this two, three times. So it's, it's crazy how it can be fast in the two wheels and four wheels. Do you like driving anything? Could we ever see you doing the, the rally di Monza or something yeah, I'm, like that? Yeah, I'm, you know, I don't know what, what will happen, but I think rally is one of the things that I would like to, to test one time. Uh, not much on the, you know, on like the rally of Monza that on, is on the track, but doing, you know, on the snow, on the Spain, I like the rally of Spain. So something like this, but uh, we'll see in the future what, what will happen. Let's see what's happening in the future. Best of luck. Hope we're going to see you here at Alpha next year. I'm sure we will. Grazie. Antonio, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Grazie. It's hard not to like Antonio, isn't it? He's very easygoing and there's no doubt that he's quick. No one sits 4-4 in qualifying with Kimi Raikkonen after eight races without being able to drive quickly. You sense a steely determination in Giovinazzi that will stand him in good stead. He's made a 
big jump in performance from 2019 to 2020, and if Fred Vasseur gives him the nod for 2021, you'd expect him to make a similar jump forward again. What he needs is another points finish to help cement the team's eighth place in the Constructors' Championship. If he can do that, he'll be hard to ignore for 2021, even with a load of young, quick Ferrari juniors on his back. Antonio, good luck and thanks for your time. I really enjoyed that chat. And thanks too to the guys and girls at Alfa Romeo for your help and hospitality. And to Fred for his wonderful cameo. I'll find a way to get you back for the peanut throwing. Don't you worry, Fred. Well, that's almost it for this week. But before we go, let's indulge in our weekly rummage through the virtual mailbag to see what you've been saying about the show. And we're delighted by some of your feedback about last week's episode on Jochen Rint. Jochen's legendary status in the sport isn't lost on you, dear listeners. And nor was the anniversary of his death on the Saturday of Monza. Andy Page got in touch to say this. Hi, Andy. Great episode on a Jochen. Loved hearing about the life of an F1 great. Super to hear from Jackie Stewart, Bernie and Helmut too. Legends never die. Their legendary status only grows with time, Andy. And to think that Jochen might have gone on to run Formula One with Bernie. He was clearly a phenomenon in so many ways. And Noel Cuddy said this. Jochen Rint memories on the F1 Beyond the Grid podcast sounded boring. However, it was anything but. Tom Clarkson, that was so brilliantly done. The emotional contributions of JYS, Helmut and Mr. Eccleston provided a real insight into the man and why his memory lives on. Do you know what, Noel? I was astounded to hear Jackie get so emotional at the end. There's so much affection towards Jochen from these people. And thanks for your very kind comments, Noel. Uwe Super adds... Incredibly moving episode, and Sir Jackie Stewart is so unbelievably precise in his recollection of facts that happened 50 years ago. The man seems to remember every gear change in every single corner at the age of 81, when I hardly remember where I parked my car two hours ago. I'm with you, Uwe, and particularly higher cars. They're buggers for hiding in multi-storey car parks, aren't they? And as for Jackie, the man is a legend. I could listen to him talk about Formula One all day long. And if you haven't heard the Beyond the Grid episode with him, it's well worth a listen. Have a scroll through our back catalogue. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. And here's a quick preview to next week's show. I'm seeing red already. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>